So my friends, we don't have a separate Bible reading tonight because we're going to be looking at a number of passages throughout our sermon. And uh, this afternoon, as you may have seen in our uh, newsletter, we're going to uh, be considering the topic of providence, the providence of God. And uh, what that means is that we're going to be thinking tonight about the Lord's ongoing relationship with his creation. We know that he brought all things into being long, long ago. But tonight we think about how the Lord continues to be involved in this world and involved in each of our lives. You see, my friends, there are some people who believe that that God created the universe, but that it's a bit like an old-fashioned alarm clock, that he made it and then he wound it up and he set it in place to run of its own accord. They say that God now looks upon us from afar, but that he never interacts or interferes in this world in any way. There are also some who believe that God does take action in this world, but only in very limited and particular circumstances. They say that he steps in from time to time in miraculous ways to to make an adjustment when necessary, but only when absolutely needed. And most of the time, he lets nature take its course. Others believe that God interacts in this world quite a bit, but only in what they would see as as good or positive ways. They say that God only sends what we see as blessings and that bad and evil things are completely outside of his domain. You know, a number of years back, our family attended a church in Port Lincoln shortly after a devastating bushfire. And the message that we heard that Sunday was exactly that, that things like bushfires are not controlled by God. And so in a tragedy like this, all we can do is care for each other. My friends, still others believe that God does allow certain bad and evil things to happen to us or to happen in this world, that he must give his permission but yet they say that he would never make those things come about. And then yet others believe that God is 100% in control of absolutely everything, that he plans and causes both good and bad, that it all comes from him. And so tonight I want to ask you, what about you? How do you think that God relates to this world? How involved do you think he is in your daily life? And why does it really matter? Let's say, for example, that there's a a bumper year in agriculture. Why is that? Is it simply good luck? Or is it the natural cycle of nature? Or is it because the farmers did a particularly good job this year? Or is it because of the actions of God? Or if there's a cyclone or or flooding like there is in New South Wales right now, is that simply bad luck? Or have we as humans done something to cause it? Or is it the work of the devil? Or did the Lord himself send it? 
Or let's say that you're diagnosed with a serious illness. Does that have nothing to do with God? Or did God fight to prevent it, but somehow he failed? Or did he give consent for that to happen? Or did he cause it to happen? And if he did, then why? Why would a good God do something like that? Well, what we want to do tonight is we want to consider God's own word and see what he says to us about his ongoing relationship with his creation. We want to see what the Lord himself tells us about providence. Now, the first thing to realise is that the Bible speaks of God's providence in two fairly distinct ways. It speaks, first of all, about how he sustains and preserves, but it also speaks of how he directs and governs. And so we'll start with how he sustains and preserves. What we mean by this is that the Lord, by his power, actively keeps the universe and everything in it in existence, preventing its destruction and supplying all of its needs. And so in Nehemiah chapter 9, the the people of Israel are crying out to the Lord and they say, Blessed be your glorious name and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the sea and all that is in them. You give life to everything and the multitudes of heaven worship you. One of the reasons for God's glory is that he is the ongoing life source of everything, of everything that lives. In the New Testament, this sentiment is repeated in Acts chapter 17, when Paul declares that he, God himself, gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being. And in Colossians chapter 1, in Colossians chapter 1, Paul says of Jesus, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And in Hebrews chapter 1, we read, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So these passages speak of God's control over all things, his sustaining of his whole creation. But we can also move from the general to the specific. Listen to these words from Psalm 104. He, that is the Lord, makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. Then later on in the same psalm, it says, You bring darkness, it becomes night. And all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. And all creatures look to you to give them food at their proper time. 
When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. Congregation, it is the Lord who provides food and drink to both man and beast, who controls day and night, changing seasons and everything else. And then over in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, will he not much more clothe you? These passages teach us that creation does not and in fact cannot exist without the constant and powerful actions of the Lord. And they teach us that the Lord will uphold his creation because he is a good and a faithful God. And they also teach us that this knowledge should give us great comfort and confidence One side of God's providence is that he sustains and preserves this world and that he sustains and preserves us. But the other side is that he also directs and governs. And so what do we mean by that? Well, what we mean is that he is not only keeping this world going, but he is actually controlling and guiding every single thing that happens, that nothing is outside of his influence, and that he is doing all of this in order to fulfil his own good purposes and plan. And so, for example, in Psalm 135, we're told that he directs the forces of nature. It says, I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is greater than all gods, The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth, in the sea and all of their depths. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the winds from his storehouses. Or think of of Luke chapter 8, where we're told that the Jesus rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. And then it says, in fear and amazement, the disciples asked one another, who is this? He commands the winds and the water, and they obey him. He also directs the actions of animals. In 1 Kings 17, he told Elijah, you will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. He also directs the destiny of entire nations. In Daniel chapter 2, we read, He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. And in Acts chapter 17, it says, From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. And my friends, he also directs the lives of individuals. 
In 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah declared, The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and exalts. And in Psalm 31, David said, But I trust in you, Lord. I say, You are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies. Or could I also invite you to think about those beautiful verses in Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Our Lord, he governs over everything. Everything that happens, whether small or large. In Proverbs 16, we're even told the lot is cast into the lap. But it's every decision is from the Lord. The simple roll of the dice is not determined by chance, but by God which puts a whole new spin on your game of Yahtzee, doesn't it? But at the very same time, Psalm 103 says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. And Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, he's the one who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Whoops, gone too far. Not only does God's providence mean that he sustains and preserves, but also that he directs and governs. Nothing falls outside of his rule, whether big or small. His providence, it covers every moment in time and every inch of the universe. It covers both Christian and non-Christian. It covers every creature, every object, every event. His providence extends through the normal and natural things of life, but also through the miraculous, because nothing is impossible with the Lord. And so this amazing biblical truth is also summarised in our confessions. And so if we think first of all about chapter 5 of the Westminster Confession, it says there, God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose and govern all creatures, actions and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise counsel and holy providence. Or we can think about Article 13 of the Belgic Confession, which is titled Providence. And there it says this, We believe that this good God, after he had created all things, did not abandon them to chance or fortune, but leads and governs them according to his holy will in such a way that nothing happens in this world without his orderly arrangement. And also in Lord's Day 10 of the Heidelberg Catechism, it asks there, what do you understand by the providence of God? And the answer it gives is this. Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which he upholds, as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them, 
that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but from his fatherly hand. That, my friends, is the doctrine of the providence of God. But yet these words of the Heidelberg alert us to an important question, an incredibly important question. You see, it's relatively easy for us, isn't it, as Christians to accept and to appreciate that God gives us things like food and drink and fruitful years and health and prosperity. But did you notice, hidden among those blessings, we also find drought and we find lean years We find sickness and we find poverty. And that's a lot more difficult, isn't it? Is it true that that God doesn't only allow or, or permit these negative things to happen, but that he actually controls them and sends them into our lives? Is God actually in control of cancer and of accidents and of divorce and of rape? and of earthquakes, and of wars, and so on. Is God in control of the bad and evil things that happen in this world, and that happen to us? Or to put it another way, we could ask, what actually is the relationship between God's providence and human sin? Well, that, my friends, is an incredibly relevant question, and to answer it, the first thing we need to be clear about is that God is in no way the author, the originator, or the cause of sin. In Genesis chapter 1, in Genesis chapter 1, it says that God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And that clearly includes good in the moral sense. There was no evil, there was no harm, There was no suffering and there was no death. And in Genesis chapter 3, we of course discover that it was not God, but it was Adam and Eve, representing all of humanity, who ruined that perfection by their disobedience. And so in James chapter 1, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And in 1 John chapter 2, it says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life come not from the Father, but from the world. And my friends, that is why the Westminster says that God, who being most holy and righteous, neither is nor can be the author or approver of sin. And it's also why the Belgic says, yet God is not the author of, nor can he be charged with the sin that occurs. But then how can we say that God is in total control? If he's not responsible for sin or any of its terrible side effects, how can we say he's in control? Well, I think that Millard Erickson summarises this particularly well in his book called Christian Theology. He says, first of all, that in his providence, 
God prevents sin and its effects. In Genesis chapter 20, when Abimelech thought that Sarah was Abraham's sister rather than his wife, God said to him, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Secondly, he says that at times in his providence, God doesn't prevent sin, but he permits it. And so in Romans chapter 1, it says, Therefore God gave them over to their sinful desire, the sinful desires of their hearts, sorry, in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And then it also says, God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. Third, there are times when God permits sinfulness, but yet he limits it. And here we go back to the book of Job. Job chapter 1, the Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. And in chapter 2, it says, the Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. But fourthly, and most importantly, Erickson also reminds us that God also directs sin and its effects. And so while he is not the cause of it, he yet orchestrates it and uses it for his own good ends. And to illustrate this, he points to the amazing story of Joseph. The latter chapters of the book of Genesis describe the terrible things that happened to Joseph because of the jealous and greedy and murderous actions of his own brothers. But in chapter 50, Joseph said to them, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph's brothers were responsible for their sin 100%, but yet God was still in control. He had a reason for it to happen, and he used it for good. And my friends, as we think about that, we cannot help but remember the greatest evil that has ever been committed in this world, the brutal torture and execution of the perfect and holy Son of God. But yet God used even that ultimate evil to bring about the ultimate good, the forgiveness and reconciliation of sinners like us to himself, and the eternal salvation of our souls. And so in Acts chapter 2, Peter declared to the crowds at Pentecost, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. And a bit later he says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Isn't that amazing? Human sin, but God is in control. But can we apply that across the board? Is it true to say that behind every sin that we commit, 
and every sin that is committed against us and every tragic effect of sin in this world, that God is still in control and that he is using it for good. Well, my friends, in Jeremiah 29, the people of God were suffering terribly in exile as a result of their own rebellion, but yet they received this message of comfort. For I know the plans I have for you, says the, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And that reminds us of those words in Romans chapter 8, those well-known words where Paul declares, and we know that in all things, without distinction, good and bad, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What an absolutely astonishing truth this is. Whatever happens in this world, whatever happens in your life, no matter how difficult, no matter how painful, no matter how stressful it might be, God is somehow using it as part of his plan and he is using it for good. But sometimes that can be incredibly hard to believe, can't it? For sometimes our struggles are so severe that we, we cannot possibly comprehend how any good can come out of them. But you know, my friends, it's at that very point that we need to stop and ponder what truly is good. Because by nature, by nature, we think that the highest good is for us to have a life of financial and material riches and of perfect relationships and of leisure and of pleasure and without any sickness or struggle and without any trauma or tragedy of any kind. But the fact of the matter is that it can actually be these very things that keep us from what is most important. For my friends, the reality is that the most important thing in life is that we realise our own weakness and our own sinfulness and that we come to our God in humble repentance and that we turn to Jesus and that we receive his glorious salvation and that we grow ever nearer to our Lord, increasing in faith, increasing in dependence, increasing in confidence and in, in hope in him. The most important thing is that we stop relying on ourselves and rely solely on our Lord Jesus Christ. And the fact of the matter is that a perfect, prosperous life would never achieve that end. But it's when we go through the tough times, and the hardest times, and the, and the impossible times, and I'm sure you know this is true, it's then that we are closest to our God. It's then that our trust in him truly grows. And it's then that we learn that in him we have everything that we need. My friends, this afternoon we've considered the providence of God. And we've seen that according to God's own word, our Lord not only sustains 
and preserves everything in his entire creation. But he also directs and governs all things and all people and all events according to his good and perfect plan. And that means that even though he is not the author of sin, that he is yet in control of sinful people and of sinful actions and of the results of sin in this world. And he uses even the most difficult times in our lives for good, for the ultimate good, to draw us ever nearer to his own heart. And how does it benefit us to know this? Well, my friends, I don't think there is any better summary than what we find in the Heidelberg Catechism. For in the Heidelberg Catechism, it asks, how does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? And listen to this answer. It says, we can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing will separate us from his love. All creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they can neither move nor be moved. Isn't that wonderful? My friends, our lives are not ruled by chance or luck or karma, or fate. And we're not at the mercy of the devil, or of evil people, or of any force that wants to harm us. And thankfully, we're not in control of our own destinies either, for what a mess we would make of that. But our lives, your life, is in the hands of your wonderful Lord. And your Lord loves you. And your Lord cares for you in every way. And even bad things are not without a purpose in his plan. And he has promised us that he works all things for your good in the end. So just as he used the suffering of his own son for your salvation, so he uses your suffering for good, drawing you ever nearer to himself helping you to trust him more and more and preparing you for that day when every trouble will be gone. My friends, this is the glorious truth of the providence of God. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, please help us to know and to understand and to accept the truth of your providence. Father, help us to see that everything in this world and everything in our lives, everything that's going on even right now for us, that it's all in your hands. And Father, we pray, please help us to see that that includes the hard things that we go through, the financial stresses, the disease and disability, the grief and the loneliness, the relationship breakdown, or whatever it may be. Father, help us to see that all of this has a purpose in your plan and that ultimately your plan is for us to grow in our faith, to grow in our dependence on you and to grow ever nearer to your heart. 
And as we see this truth, Lord, may it indeed make us patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and filled with confidence for the future, knowing that nothing can ever separate us from your love. Amen.